So if you were to try and summarize the teaching of Jesus, how would you do it? Had a sentence or two and somebody said, well, what did Jesus teach? What did he talk about? What might you say? You might say, well, you love your neighbor. Or maybe you might use the golden rule, what, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But if we look at what Jesus taught, if we were to read through the four books of the Bible, these four books we call Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a word that would stand out. And so for the next 13 weeks, we've started a series in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at that word and what it means. And that word is the word that showed up in the first passage we read for today, the word kingdom. So I'm going to read that again. Here it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news and good news there is the same word for gospel. So good news, um, in Greek, it's euangelion or evangelion. We get the words evangelism, evangelist. So it's a co compound word. So another grammar lesson for you. So euangelion. So a compound word is what? Two words put together. So u means good, and angelion or angel, a message or a messenger. And so in English, the word, old English word would be good spell or some of you who are a little bit older remember a musical, what, Godspell. So good spell, Godspell, so means good. Anyone want to take a guess what that word means? Good, right. And spell means message, so the good message, the good news. So here it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went in proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of a God has come. Rejoice and believe the good news. And so there's these words that show up, good news and kingdom. Last week we talked about this idea of good news as a proclamation. It's something that's announced. It was a word that was used in the ancient world to say something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. There's this good news that has come. And we use that word in terms of sharing the good news or sharing the gospel. And so if we want to know what that is, we should probably look and see how did Jesus describe the good news? Or how did Jesus describe the gospel? And I'm going to probably use the word most of the time, good news, because we're kind of used to hearing the word gospel. And so we're going to try again and do a little thought exercise. If you were to think about that and say, share the gospel with somebody, what would you probably start with? Probably say something like this, and this is how I was taught years ago as I was growing up. The gospel is what? That there is a God who is holy, that we have sinned against God, and as a consequence of those sins, we deserve punishment, we deserve death, we deserve separation from God. But God sent His Son, Jesus, who died for us. And through His death and resurrection, we're forgiven, and therefore we can live with God forever. Does that sound about like the gospel that most of us know? The gospel is, if you were to go to a big rally or a conference and somebody were to share the gospel, that's what you might hear. Or if you ever took a class on evangelism, which again, that good news, that's something like you might have learned, and there I remember learning probably about a half dozen different little formulas for doing it. Maybe you learned the four spiritual laws, or the bridge illustration where there's this giant gap between you and God, or the ABCs, which was used in medical terminology, but something like that where holy God, sin separates us from God, Jesus comes, takes the consequences of our sin, therefore we can live with God forever. That's the gospel. Well, that's true, but is that what Jesus says here? So because part of it is if Jesus is coming and preaching the gospel, Jesus hasn't died yet. 
And it doesn't say, it says he's preaching the good news of God. And what does he say? He talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about something different. So when we think about the good news, sometimes I think we need to get our word a little bit bigger than the idea we've had. And the same comes true for the word kingdom. The word kingdom for a lot of folks has become a popular word in the past probably 10, 15 years. Um, there's a professor at Northern Seminary in Chicago who named Scott McKnight, and he refers to this as what he calls the skinny jeans gospel. And so the skinny jeans is a reference to kind of a, a younger group of pastors who wear skinny jeans on stage. And so the, so the skinny jeans gospel, they talk a lot about the kingdom of God. And they talk about the kingdom of God as doing kingdom work. And so as Scott talks about it, he refers to, he said he started hearing this in his classes where these students were coming in and these pastors were coming in and they're talking like, oh, we're out doing kingdom work. And as he listened and as he engaged in conversations with them, what he understood them saying was they were out in the streets and they were, they were serving the poor. They were visiting people in prison. They were fighting for racial justice. They were making sure that um, people weren't sold into human trafficking. And so they were out there doing kingdom work. And he said what kingdom work translated as was good people doing good things to make the world a better place. And as McKnight contrasted that with this other version he called the pleated pants gospel, which was a kind of a reference to the older, church, the older pastor. So he had the skinny jeans gospel and the and the pleated pants gospel. The pleated pants gospel was the first one I told you. And then they had the skinny jeans gospel. And he said, well, there's a problem because both of them miss part of the story. Both of them miss something. The pleated pants gospel, this very short where like sin separates us from God, Jesus dies, and it leaves out a really big chunk of the Bible. Because you could read like the first two chapters, three chapters of Genesis, and then skip all the way and usually in some churches, all the way to the book of Romans, just kind of skip over all the life of Jesus and get to that. And the kingdom gospel leaves out a couple things, namely, never mentions a king, never mentions a people, never mentions a land. So we're going to be looking in this series about what these things are. I mean, both of these aren't wrong, they just need a little more to them. They're missing something to them. And part of what they're missing is this idea of where Jesus fits in the big story of the Bible. How Jesus fits in the big story of the Bible and Jesus as the climax of the story of Israel. That there's this story being told and we need to pay attention to what's going on in the story. And so we're going to think about what that big story is and then think about what this word kingdom means and how it relates to the story. Now kingdom is a hard word because we're not really familiar with what kingdoms are. We don't live in a kingdom right now. And even as we look around the world, the idea of a kingdom is not something we think about a whole lot. So, but what is a kingdom and what does it have to do with, why does Jesus talk about the kingdom of God? And what would these initial, what would these people living in the first century have thought? When they heard Jesus say, there's a kingdom and the kingdom of God is, has come near, what would they have been hearing? Well, they would have been thinking about the big story of the Bible. And so they would have turned all the way back to pages one and two of the Bible. And I, can't, I use that language. There's a scholar I listen to a lot of, Tim Mackey. He uses that language 
it's not even sure where it came from, but it's this idea of page one and page two. In, in other words, the beginning of the Bible, chapters one and two of the book of Genesis. And so if we were to go back there, and you've probably heard me say this too many times, that if we want to understand the story of the Bible, we have to start at the beginning. I mean, imagine jumping in a story somewhere in the middle. Imagine coming to a story and reading that there's a little girl eating some porridge and some bears come in and chase her out. And you're, what is that all about? Because you haven't heard the beginning of the story. You don't know what's going on. It's the story of Goldilocks and the three. We all know that one, right? Okay. Just, just make sure. So the story of Goldilocks and the three. But if we didn't tell the beginning of the story. So the beginning of the story of the book of Genesis, God creates a world that's good. And then it says he creates, and the, the language used in the book of Genesis is this language of a temple. And so God is king. But then it says, so God created mankind in his own own image. This is chapter 1, verse 27. In the image of God, he created them. All right, and then verse 28, God blessed them, that is the people, be fruitful and increase in numbers, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You hear the word rule. What kind of language is that? That's king language. I mean, I mean, when I was growing, when I was younger, they, they, people would use that language, and I don't know, Dad, don't hang around young people other than my kids a whole lot, so that language of rule, I mean, if somebody walks in, I rule, right? I mean, but this rule, rule is this language of king, of ruling over, and so the picture is God has created a world, God is king over the world, but then he's appointed subregions, these people, he's appointed people underneath him to rule over the world on his behalf. That's the beginning of the story of the Bible. That's pages one and two. And then page three, chapter three of Genesis, it begins to go downhill. Why? Because people don't like living under the rule of God. They choose to usurp. They choose to take over to try and live their own life, to be kings not under God, but in place of God. And so the story begins and so Kings under God, but then we usurp the rule. And then God comes up with a plan to begin to fix that. And first he calls a man named Abraham. And he says, out of you I'm going to make you into a blessing for the world. And you are going to rule on my behalf. But the story continues and it's the same thing throughout the Bible. God forgives his people and they choose to rule over him. They end up down in slavery in Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery. He gives them a covenant, enters into this relationship with them. But once again, they choose their own way. They begin to usurp that rule from God. Finally, they enter this land where they're going to live. And all around time, they're looking around and they know God is their king, but they say, well, we want a king like everybody else. And so God accommodates them and he gives them a king. And they're in this place where they're supposed to be, God is king and they have a human king ruling under them. But once again, they choose to usurp that power. And so that's the story all along through the Old Testament. Through these stories of the people of Israel, God is king. He's asked people to serve as kings under him. But we keep, people keep usurping that rule. Keep, people keep choosing to rule, to decide for themselves what's right and wrong. And the system is broken, and it's a spiral that keeps happening. And so all along, people are wondering, when is God going to fix all that? When is God going to truly reign as king? How is he going to fix it? 
for a moment in time, they had this king named David, and they thought for just a moment that things might be okay. That this was finally the kind of king that God wanted. But David turns and falls. And so the same thing begins to happen. So now we're coming to this end. And so the Old Testament ends, and there's kind of this long pause, this long expectation. There's a story, and it's not done yet. If you were to read through the story of the Old Testament, you'd come to the end and be like, oh, wait a minute. What's the end of the story? It's a cliffhanger of sorts. We've had this discussion with our kids quite a few times because we watch television shows now, and we often have the series on DVD, or we can watch it online. And they don't quite yet understand that, that challenge of when you end an episode and then you have to wait a whole week. Or maybe you remember those episodes that would end in, the May, in May at the end of the season. And then you'd have to wait three months, four months to find out who shot JR or whatever the, uh, whatever the big story was of, the, of this thing. And you're just waiting, there's this cliffhanger. Or... If you go way back, that term cliffhanger, what was it? They literally, those old serials, the Lone Ranger and some of those, they would end sometimes with somebody hanging from the side of a cliff. And these things going on. And that's how the Old Testament ends. It's just kind of this thing that God has been promising that He's going to fix things. God has been promising that He's going to send a Messiah. And Messiah is this word, the anointed and anointed one. God is going to send a king. God is going to provide an answer for his promises. God is going to send someone to rule over the people. And then, nothing. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. And then, Jesus comes on the scene, and he says what? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. In other words, what you've been waiting for? That resolution to the story, it's happening now. But if we read the rest of the story with Jesus, we find out what happens. Jesus comes and he shows people what it's like to live under God's rule, right? He shows people, he lives a life that says, this is what it like, looks like to live under God's rule and reign. This is the way we were supposed to live all along. This is the way that Adam and Eve were supposed to live their lives. And now one might expect that if you met someone who was living just the way God wanted, wouldn't you want to be around them? you say, oh, this is great. This is somebody who loves people. This is somebody who forgives people. This is just the nicest person ever. But what happened? There were people who didn't like that. There were the Roman authorities. There were the religious leaders who said, once again, and it's kind of built into humanity, this desire to usurp is like, no, we don't want that. And so what did they do with Jesus? They kill him. They, they take this one who has been demonstrating exactly what it looks like to live the life that God has called for us to be, to live as a king under God's rule, and they kill him. But God does something interesting then. Because God takes the way that the people have usurped the power and he reverses and changes and he raises Jesus from the dead. And he says, okay, 
I am beginning things all over again in Jesus. I am beginning a new creation. And the language that gets used in the New Testament then is when Jesus is raised from the dead, he doesn't just hang out on earth. And we sometimes say, like all the apostles' creed, he talks about he ascended into heaven and he does what? Sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Sitting at the right hand is what kind of language? It's king language. It's, he's sitting there, he's ruling and reigning, and so Jesus is elevated and becomes the king that we're supposed to be. So now we come to the story, we're saying that God alone is king, that God is now ruling in King Jesus, and we live under the rule of King Jesus. Forgiveness is granted through King Jesus, and the rule of Jesus will be completed in the final kingdom. And so there's that story. So when Jesus comes and announces the kingdom of God, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, this is what God is doing, that God is finally making all things right. God is restoring these things. And so as we explore in these coming weeks this story of Jesus and this idea of the kingdom, we'll be thinking more, thinking more about what a kingdom is. And so we recognize that a, king, a kingdom requires at least three things. It requires a king, right? A kingdom is going to have a king. kingdom is going to have a land, of a place where it is. Now, kingdom often in the Bible has this idea of reign or activity, but it's not simply that. It's also about, and a kingdom also includes a people. So there's a king, there's a, there's a land, and there's a people. And so we're going to be looking at if the kingdom of God has come, what does that have to do with us? And what does the kingdom of God have to do with the cross of Jesus? And how do these things all relate together? And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come, repent and believe the good news. Repent is language of turning around, of changing your mind and saying, adjust to this idea that the kingdom of God is here. And the kingdom, again, is what? This picture of God is king, and we're called to live as kings under him. And if you don't believe that that's the goal of the story, if you turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, in chapter 5, there's this picture in chapter 5, verse 9, this picture of the, these um, elders and saints gathered around the thrones, and it says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy, and they're talking about Jesus here, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then listen to this. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth forever. So again, we hear that language. We're called to reign. We're called to rule. And what does that look like? And so, when Jesus introduces this, we recognize a couple things. As we kind of begin to wrap this up is, the point of the story is Jesus. That the whole story, and I, I talked some about this last week, the point of the story is Jesus. If we're going to tell the good news of God, it's summed up in Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the one who demonstrates what it's all about. But the good news is about more than forgiveness. It includes a task. It includes submitting to the rule of Jesus. And so as we begin to think about this, what I would encourage you to do is, one, a couple of things we can do is we can get to know this story of the Bible. It's easy, and I'm this very much the same way. 
I have books of the Bible I like to read and some that are hard to read. It's the start of a new year. How many of you have ever done a read-through-the-Bible program? How many of you have started a read-through-the-Bible program and made it till about the end? Yeah. yeah. Usually like January 7th or so. I mean, yeah, this, this, would, this would be about the day, January 10th, you know, about the day where like, okay, I missed a couple days this week, and then by the end of January, it's just kind of, it's, it's nowhere. But I would encourage you to find ways to read through the Bible and pay attention to the story. And granted, there are parts that are hard to understand. There are parts that are slow. I've been myself going back to Samuel and Kings and reading through those, and there's some weird stories in there. And there's some hard stories to understand. And there's other passages, parts of the Bible you get going, and you're like, I don't know what's going on. It's, it's difficult language. But try and get a grasp of the big story and how that all fits in that story. And think about that story in terms of God created a good world. God is king. He calls us to live as kings under him. And how does the rest of that story, how does what you're reading fit in that story? We heard that passage from Isaiah. I don't know if you notice the language that happens in it. In the passage from Isaiah, kind of fits in that story. It's the people have gone into exile. They've suffered consequences of their sin, and they've gone into exile. And they're suffering that exile. And then it talks about God coming back to get them. So in Isaiah chapter 52, it says, You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. So they'll be, you'll be rescued. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. He says, at first my people went down to Egypt and Assyria is oppressive. And, and now what do I have here? And he says, uh, he talks about how his name has been blasphemed. Therefore, my people will know my name. And then it says this in verse 7. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. And the picture is this picture of a watchman up on the tower. If you imagine a watchman in a city, in ancient days, there weren't telephones, there wasn't email, not even fax machines. How did you get a message from one city to another? You handed a message, sometimes a written message, to oftentimes to just a runner. Maybe they had a horse, but oftentimes just a runner who would run from one city to another and announce what had happened. And so the picture of how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news is someone standing on the tower and they're looking and they're waiting. The people of God have been in exile. They're waiting for what we'll see what do God do. And then there's somebody up on the tower and they're looking into the distance and they see something. And they see and closer and closer it comes and they realize it's a messenger coming. Someone coming and he comes and he announces there's good news. And so how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring, because they realize those feet have brought good news. And what is the good news? Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, and proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And again, that language, what? Your God reigns. And so this picture of God reigning over things. And so the good news that we proclaim today is that in Jesus Christ, our God reigns. That Jesus has defeated death, that he has forgiven our sins, and that's part of the role of Jesus, King Jesus. That that pleated pants gospel doesn't get pushed to the side. 
but it's still an absolutely essential part of it that there is forgiveness in King Jesus. But it's also a call to live out and be the kingdom of God. It's also living out the skinny jeans gospel of, of serving the poor, of caring for the hungry. Those are all parts of it. But in the end, what's the call on us? Is to submit to the rule of King Jesus. It's to stop that story of trying to usurp, of trying to decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong, of trying to take over for King Jesus, but to live under His good and gracious rule because He is a good and beautiful God. And so our invitation today is to do that, is to submit our lives to the rule of King Jesus. When Jesus says those words, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That's what he's saying. He's saying, turn your life around and give it to King Jesus. To live under his rule and reign. And so over the next weeks up until Easter, that's what we're going to be looking at. What does it look like to live under the rule of King Jesus? What does it look like to let him reign in his life? What does the kingdom of God look like for us today? And how can we live into that? But the starting place is to submit to the rule of King Jesus. And so I would invite you, if you haven't done that, if you're still trying to live life according to your own desires, if you're still trying to live life according to your own patterns, to say, I want to live under the rule of King Jesus. I like that. We, we talk about Jesus Christ, and, and Christ is simply the anointed one. And so one way to even think of that sometimes is, is to, when you see that word Christ, is substitute the word king and say, or Messiah and say, King Jesus. So to give your life to King Jesus and say, I want to live under your rule and under your reign. I want to listen to what you have to say because you know the way things are to be done. Let's join together, please, in prayer. Our good and gracious God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to show the way, that you sent Jesus to be the kind of king that we were meant to be, and that when he showed the way, he was killed, but you raised him from the dead, and through his resurrection, through his death and resurrection, you offer forgiveness of sins, but you have also seated him at your right hand to reign, and to rule. So God, help us to live under the rule of King Jesus. Help us to live and be kingdom people. God, empower us by your Spirit. In the name of our King Jesus, we pray. Amen.